the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we are working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Join the conversation. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th President Abraham Lincoln succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Tonight, we will be continuing our discussion on the four greatest threats we are seeing play out in education today. In past episodes, we have covered CRT, otherwise known as critical race theory, And today we're going to take a deep dive into the second of those threats invading our schools, the new revised social studies standards. Mm -hmm. Which are at this point um, on the third draft and ready to go before an administrative law judge, I believe, very soon. Like it's either August or September. But let's give our listeners a little bit of background just in case they aren't aware before we go into too much with respect to the standards themselves. But um Each of the set of academic standards in Minnesota are revised on a 10-year cycle. And the social studies standards were up for review uh, during the 2021 school year. And unfortunately, the way the law was set up originally for all standards reviews is that they don't have to be approved by the legislature. So they were approved by the legislature back when the law was first enacted that they have to review But then once that was passed, the review process goes on every 10 years and it's put together by or it's reviewed by a panel of, quote unquote, experts that are assigned by the governor at the time or the Department of Education at the time. And then once they go through several different drafts and get public comment, then it goes to administrative law judge who then reviews the process they underwent and then approves or doesn't approve on the basis of the process, really more than the content. And so the problem with this format is that back when this was passed, this law was passed, what, 30 years ago, something like that, I don't think anybody could have anticipated that we would come to a place where education is being filled with critical race theory and all of the elements that we discussed last week on our show so that they would have to be concerned. And Mm -hmm. so they didn't think it was worthy of the whole legislative process every 10 years for every subject. Mm -hmm. But where we're at now is that we wish that the legislature did have to weigh in on this 
because then elected officials would actually be able to say what's important. Right now, these are unelected, appointed people. And sadly, the group of people that determined this uh, new set of standards are biased themselves. And I actually watched one of their uh, Zoom meetings because, of course, this was all happening during COVID. I watched one of their Zoom meetings. It's being led by a consultant who specializes in critical race theory. Oh, gracious. And she would do an activity at the beginning of every meeting to introduce the participants to the idea, the notion of oppression versus, you know, victimization. And so from the get-go, this team of people were set up to work in a certain direction with mm-hmm. respect to this with with respect to the social studies standards. And even though they got copious amounts of um, public feedback, largely due to the Center of American Experiment doing such a great job of getting it out there, um, they made only very, very minor tweaks. And so now, you know, on the third draft, they don't really look that much different from the first draft. Mm -hmm. And it's embedded. It's embedded in every strand. But what you'll hear about with respect to the social studies standards is that they added a fifth strand called ethnic studies. So Abigail, let's think about this for a moment. They already had the strand of citizenship and government. That's strand one. They had economics. Mm -hmm. That's strand two. Strand three is geography. Strand four is history. Now, all of this is under the social studies standards. Now, if you're a social studies teacher, you're already covering a lot Right? Yes. Citizenship and government, economics, geography, and history. Now we're going to add a fifth standard called ethnic studies. And why don't you read for our listeners some of the, well, the three main points under the new ethnic standards, which these teachers now have to add on top of everything else they're doing. So, you know, what it talks about under these ethnic studies is use ethnic and indigenous study methods and sources in order to understand the roots of contemporary systems of oppression and apply lessons from the past in order to eliminate historical and contemporary injustices. Mm -hmm. You know, what I kind of chuckle when I read this because it is a little bit, I don't know if anyone else has gotten this sense as just they watch the news, they listen to all of these, um, you know, social, you know, justice warriors, you know, parading the streets and, you know, shouting at people. Um, You know, it's almost as though they think we were, we are the best. (laughs) I no one ever had morality before us. We're so advanced. We are so advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we're so well-educated that we can tell everybody else that they're not. And everything that ever happened anywhere, you know, that's no good, mm-hmm. according to our standards. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's just... It's, it's that, an arrogant view. It is. Mm-hmm. Of, and, mm-hmm. again, that never is meant to say that we can't grow and improve and change or that there aren't issues in our culture and society that people should know and learn about. But I will tell you what, the United States is not special. There are problems anywhere you go and at any time at which you live. Exactly. You will always find problems, always things that needed to be improved. Um, And and to treat, to, to, to teach children that all of this was set up to oppress people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
outside of, uh, you know, the obvious areas um, like slavery in the United States, which was also simultaneously happening all around the world. Right. Um, obviously an evil an thing. Evil. But outside of that, to say that, you know, let's say that the Electoral College is set up to oppress people, you you just kind of go. And to okay, maintain guys. and to maintain power. Yeah. All right, guys, yeah. maybe we should have a broader view. Right. So the three the three um, sections under ethnic studies, you read the first one is identity. The second one is resistance. And the third one is ways of knowing and methodology. But let's take a look at resistance. Um, you read the one about identity where it talks about um, oppressors, right? Mm-hmm. Resistance is activism. So they're saying, describe how individuals and communities have fought for freedom and liberation against systemic and coordinated exercises of power locally and globally. Identify strategic or strategies or times that have resulted in lasting change and organize with others to engage in activities that could further the rights and dignity of all. So, okay, that all sounds fine. I mean, there is there has been a history of racism in this country, and we do want our students to know about that. Yes. It's important not to gloss over that. Um, but let's take a look at how this plays out with kids as young as kindergarten. Here's here's one. Retell a story about an unfair experience that conveys a power imbalance. Your own story or a story you have read. Share what you can learn from this story. So now again, this is kind of what we talked about last week. We're placing ideas in young children's minds. Mm -hmm. In kindergarten, first grade, we're asking them to tell a story where there was a power imbalance. Well, let's see. Maybe they just went home that night and their mom got mad at them over something. (laughs) There's a power imbalance there, isn't there? And, you know, what about, um, you know, uh, the neighbor? You you maybe drove on your neighbor's property with the bike and, you know, he said, hey, I don't want you driving on my property with your bike. And now that's a power imbalance as well. So what are we teaching these kids? Or if they don't ask them for their own personal experiences, because the standard doesn't say that you have to. The benchmark actually says it could be from a book. Mm -hmm. We've seen all kinds of books that are being read to young children. One uh, book that was about police um, saying, I, I believe it was called Something Happened in Our Town. Yes. And to clarify, this is something that happened at a school district in the state of Minnesota. Yes, is that right correct? right here in the Twin Cities. Okay. Yeah, right here in the Twin Cities. And so if they're reading kids a book like that, um, where it says, it warns students that police are mean to black people, but nice to white people, and that cops stick up for one another, but they don't like black men. And then the sister in the book states, it wasn't a mistake. The cops shot him because he was black. This is a book being read in a school district right here in the Twin Cities and probably many others. So let's go back to that benchmark where it says retell a story. It can be either your own situation or um, a story that you've been read. So now if a teacher uses this book, then of course what they're teaching these kids is that this power is you know, unbalanced and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's an inaccurate statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's teaching kids, it's basically indoctrinating them is yep. what it is with an idea that may be true in a few cases, but mm-hmm. isn't true pervasively and you can't generalize. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another, another example um, in, in this whole idea of 
thus the benchmarks in Minnesota is that in the, let's see, what's the third section? I believe it is called, let me see, I'm going to find this, Ways of Knowing and Methodologies. Use ethnic and indigenous study methods yeah. and sources in order to understand the roots of contemporary systems of oppression and apply lessons from the past in order to eliminate historical and contemporary injustices. So again, focusing on assuming yes. that there's been oppression all the way along. Mm-hmm. And so when I say these three things, identity, resistance, and ways of knowing and methodologies, those are the three or three standards within the new strand of ethnic studies. Starting in kindergarten, they are doing activities within each one of those. Mm-hmm. All three of them are clearly based in this notion of oppressor versus victim. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really, really unfortunate. Um, well, you are listening to Education America and Abigail Johnson and Rebecca Hagstrom, we are your hosts, and we are discussing the social studies standards revision here in the state of Minnesota. And um, we've been talking about the fact that while a fifth strand was added called ethnic studies, and we've been sharing a little bit with you about what some of those standards actually look like, I want you to also, or we want you to also know that even within the other strands, so citizenship and government, economics, geography, history, critical race theory is embedded in those two. Mm. So it's not even just limited to that fifth strand. And mm. that is, you know, one of the things that the parents who are hearing about this are very upset about. Who wants to have their kids being taught, well, for instance, kindergarten geography? Here's a standard. Describe places and regions, explaining how they are influenced by power structures. That's a geography standard for a kindergartner, (laughs) for kindergarten. So examples, identify physical and human characteristics and find examples in my community and within stories. So again, it's indoctrination. When you are teaching kids uh, that your geography class means describing places and regions um, that have been influenced by power structure. That's not an education on geography. Yes. That is an education on critical race theory. But can they name any states or any capitals, <laughs> or capitals? at all? Right. Any of them. Pick one. Yeah. yeah. Well, if State you're gonna, of Minnesota. If you're Anyone? really going to be talking about power structure starting in kindergarten, I don't think they're going to be knowing their, I don't think they're going to be able to know their states and capitals. Well, and just that goes along with your point of, yeah. you know, these teachers have so many things that they're expected yeah. to cover. And, you know, to be quite frank, it's very clear what is the most important in school administrations, or at least according to the Minnesota Department of Education. So where, where do you think... Yeah, this if, is their model. If, if you think yeah. that a teacher only has so much time in a day, mm-hmm. and now we're adding on more and more, and it's very clear to everyone where the emphasis is, what do you think is going to get cut? Right. It's right. not going to be, if, if they run out of time, it's not going to be ethnic studies. Nope. But maybe we'll just skimp on the history a mm-hmm. little bit here. Mm-hmm. Because why why in the world would we need to learn about that? Well, and that's what's happening. And we've been, I mean, this has been happening for years that history has been getting cut. I can tell you, Abigail, I've been doing a lot of teacher interviews this summer as we've been doing a lot of hiring due to our expansion. And I am so surprised how often teachers uh, will tell me, this is lower school teachers now, that those that have been in the public schools, that they're only getting one or two days a week where they do maybe a 30-minute class on social studies. 
So now think about that, mm-hmm. teacher. You've got two 30-minute time slots, and you have to get in five different set of standards mm-hmm. for your students. How You're not going to do it. You're yeah. just not. It's impossible. So even if these standards were outstanding, there just hasn't been enough time for the teachers to really devote. But now these standards are, well, maybe it's not so bad, right, that they're cutting back on social studies since these standards are so poor. <laughs> <laughs> but no, these poor kids. And here's another example in economics. Again, you'd think, okay, it's economics. In second grade, one of the things they say as a benchmark example is distinguish between individual needs, which they put in parentheses, conditions necessary to survive, and individual wants, conditions desired to be happy. Well, that's religion and philosophy. That belongs in the home. So now starting in second grade, we're teaching kids that there's only certain things that you really, really, really need to survive. But anything beyond that is a want. Mm-hmm. So imagine an activity with second graders. How's that going to play out? Well, I, I, I need a bike. Nope, that's a want. I like candy. Nope, that's a want. Mm-hmm. Um, a bed. Mm, okay, we'll give you that one. But I mean, what are we doing? We're training young minds to feel that they are privileged. Mm-hmm. At a very young age, it's that same notion of white oppression. If they can teach these kids that they're privileged, starting in these young, young grades, they start to feel guilty about what they have. Now, I am all about making sure people are full of gratitude. And that's a and thing. There's a difference between guilt and gratitude. Exactly. And having a deep, deep sense of, I mean, and I will, we, uh, my husband and I, we talk to our kids very frequently about how to cultivate gratitude. I will say I'm not above doing a full stop on all conversations because mostly it's just whining and things maybe have devolved at our (laughs) house. And, you know, I'll say that's enough. No more words until everyone can go around the table. And I want you to think of three things that you're thankful for because you know what? I think we need to recenter here. Um, It's a, you know, we have to practice this. We have to practice being grateful. We have Mm -hmm. to practice noticing the things that we have that we're thankful for. Mm -hmm. That is not the same thing as you should feel guilty um, because you have these things. It's to have an innate gratitude and and hopefully springing from that later in life, a sense of giving back and productivity and providing for others as well. And that's where, like I say, faith and home are so important for developing gratitude and for developing um, a heart for giving. Yeah. It's not something that you can force on kids in a school setting. Mm-hmm. It's it's so again, these are second graders and we 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 we're dealing with things in schools that really belong more in the home under this economic strand. Although I will say, I want to read one thing on the personal finance for the economic strand. It talks about applying an econo- applying economic concepts and models to develop individual and collective financial goals and strategies for achieving these goals. Um, you know, if if they were balancing all of this out with talking about the national debt <laughs> that and how it has skyrocketed in the next in the past several years under presidents from both parties. Yes. And the interest rate on that debt and what that would mean if, you know, eventually we need to 
begin to pay that back. You know, I might be willing to swallow some of this mm-hmm. if they would talk about that, but that's not my what's guess being discussed. is that they're not talking no, about that. No. And there was one that talked about scarcity, and I thought, oh, you know what? It's not a pie. The, the economy isn't a pie. There aren't just limited resources. We There are things that we can do to continue to build the economy. And, you know, to teach kids, like, there's only just so much. And you need to just not take very much because, you know, then that takes it away from other people. Um, the idea is, no, we want to help others receive more. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and And that doesn't happen by teaching kids about scarcity of mm-hmm. everything. Of resources. So here's another one, um, Abigail, that I wanted to share about. Um, in the, uh, let's see, the ethnic studies strand, um, the one about, you know, analyzing the ways power and language construct social identities of race, religion, geography. I read, you read that earlier. Here's an example for kindergarten. Create a representation of oneself, including one's family and or ancestors. Discuss their choices and describe what is special and important, including strengths and assets. Okay. So, again, that's not bad Mm -hmm. in and of itself. But given that it is under this strand of analyze the ways power and language construct the social identities of race, religion, geography, ethnicity, and gender – and then center, it says, centering those whose stories and histories have been marginalized, erased, or ignored. So now if a kid's going to tell their story, well, my, my parents, maybe they came from Northern Europe. Mm-hmm. Oh, so what is, what's going to be said in light of the standard? What's going to be said to that child? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's probably going to depend a lot on the, on the teacher. But if they're fulfilling the standard then my guess is that that child's own personal story is either going to be held up as a victim or held up as an oppressor, depending on where they came from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, dividing along these lines is just causing more damage than good uh, for the kids. Um, another example for the resistance strand or the resistance standard under the strand of ethnic studies is retell a story about an unfair experience. Maybe I shared that already. You did. Okay, because I, I want to make sure that I got that one in. I'm sorry that I read that a second time. Oh, no, time. <laughs> it's it's really good because you, you have to look at I think it, it shows outright. Look, a lot of these things, if you read it over once, you go, well, I don't know. I mean, that, that sounds fine. But then when you look at the overarching paradigm mm-hmm. um, that is encompassing all of these things, you go, wait, wait a minute. What is going um, on? You know, and and mm-hmm. how are people's different stories going to be viewed in light of you know these this intersectional rubric this victim or victor um, um, or oppressor the rubric mm-hmm. you know and and you know all of these children um, to be very frank all of these stories are precious um, all, all these, of these stories all yeah. of these children's experiences their yep. their families their backgrounds they're yep. all important and yep. to say that. One is better or one is worse than the other is honestly a terrible thing mm-hmm. to do to a child mm-hmm. um, because they are all very valuable. Their stories yeah. are all very valuable. And we, you know, hope and pray that, you know, that they end up in an educational environment that sets them on a track that helps them understand that they are valued. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very different than self-esteem. We're just going to tell you you're special no matter what. But we're saying you, you have value. Mm-hmm. And knowing that should go so 
deep mm-hmm. into the core of who you are that it spurs you on to figure out what am I good at? How can I contribute to the world around me? What are the gifts and talents that you know God gave just to me? Mm-hmm. Because he's got something just for me to do mm-hmm. um, that's important. Mm-hmm. And each one of those kids should be in an environment where that is, where the adult in charge is saying, that matters. Yes. The the melanin content of your skin is not what not makes matter. you special. It's, it's innately who you are mm-hmm. that makes you valuable. Mm-hmm. And all of the things that, you know, you've already been through and all of the places that you are going and every single adult that is in charge of kids should be conveying that message mm-hmm. to them. One hundred percent, I completely agree with you, Abigail, and I think probably a lot of our listeners do too. Um, you know, when you consider citizenship and government, I think I told you that that's the first strand mm. in the social studies standards. Again, we want our students to learn about citizenship and government, but here's an example of one that could so easily be manipulated in the negative. So it says, demonstrate, and this is first grade, by the way, or no, sorry, second grade, demonstrate voting skills, identify rules that keep a voting process fair. Wait a minute. Uh-huh. I have just a question here. Mm-hmm. So listeners can't see, but I'm raising my hand right now. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who decides What's what is fair? fair? Exactly. That's weird. And again... We have to remember, because it's easy to say, oh, you guys are just being too, you know, you're worrying about this too much. But no, you need to remember that the overarching theme of all of these standards is the idea of oppression versus victim. Mm -hmm. And so when you know that, then you know that the way this is going to be interpreted, what is fair is going to be a way that shows that one group is trying to oppress the other. So what are we, you know, we talk about requiring an ID. Oh, no, that's just white oppression. Um, You know, not outlawing voting boxes. Oh, no, that's just white oppression. And so even if that was put forth as a theory, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, you can do that. But then you would think that if it was to be fair, you should say, but now the other side of this is, where else do you need to show an ID? What other things do you right. need to use an ID for? To get for? on an airplane. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and once right. you rattle it off, you realize, oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, how many states have programs to help people that, to go exactly. out of their way to say, we want to help. We want to help you get what you need mm-hmm. in order to do this. Yeah. Um, and that would be, you know, again, even if I don't necessarily agree with one perspective or the other, but at least then you're presenting a myriad of perspectives that then kids can think about and right. hopefully go home and talk to their parents about and right. as well and kind of think through. Um, but I have a sneaking suspicion that um, generally that's not being no, brought up. That is exactly right. This is not being brought up on a regular basis, probably with a few teachers that 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 really want to make sure that that message gets through. And I'm sure there are some good teachers out there trying to do the right thing. And I know from interviewing many of them that they are getting more and more frustrated and they feel like their hands are tied. Um, the other interesting thing about these social studies standards is that they're very um, activist oriented. Mm-hmm. So m- even as young as lower school grades, trying to get these kids to be activists, you know, Voting procedures, this is third grade, third grade, you know, writing a letter, making a speech, attending a public meeting, um, and 
these are not things that you tend to do with the third graders. You know, that's more of a 12th grader yep. thing, activity. So they're really beyond the scope, which means it ends up being more indoctrination and teaching kids um, oppression versus victim. And now you need to be talking about this. You need to be going and, and making speeches or you need to be going to meetings and speaking up. Third grade. Third mm-hmm. grade, Abigail. Oh, my goodness. Well, we, again, are at the end of our time, and we always have so much more that we would like to share with you than we were able to get in our 30-minute our show. But we are glad that you joined us, and we encourage you to check out the latest draft of the Social City Standards and write, write in if you're interested in knowing more um, through savetheclassroom.com. That's our podcast. We'll see you again next week when we cover the next threat. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.